Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Van Maren Show on LifeSiteNews.com. My name is Jonathan Van Maren, and today we're going to be talking to the author of a new book coming out from Regnery Press called Don't Go to College, A Case for Revolution. Now, it's a really, really interesting book from a couple of different perspectives. It's written by Timothy Gordon and Michael Robillard, and the foreword is by Michael Knowles. An examination of how America's colleges have become an intellectual hell on earth for anyone who wishes to think rationally and seek truth and wisdom, as well as a plan for how young citizens can claim and safeguard the learning and heritage to which they are entitled. From safe spaces and trigger warnings, to grievance studies and neo-Marxist indoctrination, to sexual degeneracy and hookup culture, to student loan indentured servitude, to useless degrees with no translatable real-world application, the modern-day American university, and I would argue most Canadian universities as well, now functions as the complete inversion of its original purpose. Rather than creating civically-minded, competent citizens and adults able to provide for themselves, their families, and their society, America's universities now function as institutional assembly lines for the production of the new 21st century global citizen surf, atomized, infantilized, dependent, and pacified. This book provides the definitive diagnosis of what exactly happened to America's universities while giving the reader a blueprint for how young citizens, parents, and local communities alike can safeguard, escape, and begin resisting such pernicious indoctrination and illogical, woke nonsense. So, obviously, the title alone kind of attracted my attention, because it's not too often that a conservative publisher releases a book with the subtitle, A Case for Revolution. And so I invited uh, Dr. Timothy Gordon, the co-author of this book, on to discuss his thesis and his book. And as you'll see from the conversation, it was pretty interesting, and he has some very fascinating and bluntly stated views. Here's that conversation. So let's start off with the title of the book. So don't go to college is something I think that a lot of conservatives have been hearing more and more about over the last 20 years or so. But uh, the case for revolution, that is that is a different subtitle. So maybe start by breaking down your title. Yeah, well, I think it's really important to lead off this way. Not going to college presents a case for revolution. The subtitle is a bit of an unpacking of the title, like any good subtitle should be. It's also a bit of an analogy. So whenever you use a subtitle as uh, a specifier and an analogy, uh, that means that it relates to the topic of the book in at least two ways. There is a revolutionary ember in the notion of not going to college at all. You, you can abstract what that is, and your audience can abstract what that is. Everyone goes to college, and we're saying, don't do it. The other element of this that is more denotative, literal, in making a case for revolution is the simple fact that the left has overrun the eight institutions of culture, which act together as a kind of hive mind, and the university along with, you know, the other, the other seven institutions, news media, entertainment media, you know, the, the, that's just two of, two of the other six, seven or eight. Uh, the hive mind, it has a brain, and the brain is, of course, the university. So more literally and more to the point, not going to college 
begins a counter-revolutionary moment, begins a counter-revolutionary movement where uh, we start taking back the eight or nine, if you will, institutions of culture that were stormed sometime over the last century. It needs to be actually a counter-revolutionary spirit. And as you read this book, you could tell this book has it. It is not simply a book for college-age kids or their their tuition-paying parents. Well, what's interesting is, you know, you went to school for at least seven years based on the credentials behind your name that I see here. Uh, and and you're advocating people not go to university. And so the one questions people might ask is, how do you launch a counter-revolution by opting out of the institution you seek to change? The counter-revolution is a cultural one. I'm not telling people to leave the culture, you know? That would be, uh, you know, something something you would counter-pitch to, like Rod Dreher or something like that with the, the Benedict option. I'm saying people need to stay in the culture, and they need to stay in the culture with the express intent of fighting. But what they need to do within the culture to present a counter-revolutionary equipoise is to graduate high school, uh, in most cases, get married really soon, marry their high school boyfriend or girlfriend, which will reinvigorate the entire system of American youthful heterosexuality, where you're dating someone in, in high school the way we've always done for, you know, thousands of years you've dated someone as a high school age person purposively to find a wife and then get a job stay home procreate have babies and be ready for the next instruction in the counter-revolution you're already doing your work just by not going to college you see how it is we're not fighting for the soul of the american university it's already lost it's already overrun and and everyone knows this too to say i'll mm. oh, stay and fight that's staying on an overrun ship to rearrange the deck chairs on, you know, the Titanic or whatever, whatever you will. Let's dig into that a little bit. Um, we've had uh, earlier on this podcast, we had uh, Dr. Mark Bauerlein on his his book, uh, The Dumbest Generation, as well as his follow up book, The Dumbest Generation Grows Up. And so the state of, of the Ivy League, I think, is, has been made clear just in terms of the intellectual level of a lot of the students it's producing now. And of course, there's all kinds of different reasons for that. But kind of give us a synopsis. Why do you think people should not only be careful going to college, but just opt out of the experience altogether? Give us your best, uh, give us your best case here. Most people know it's expensive. This is just the tip of the iceberg. It makes you dumb. It cultivates habits in its matriculants, which are toxic and which are extremely difficult to get rid of, will make uh, procreative family life, both logistically and ideologically, very hard to do later from a, from a satisfaction point of view. So it, it makes you dumber. It makes you uh, more anathema to moral virtue and what Aristotle would call uh, happy life, eudaimonia. Of course, it, it'll put you into debt, it will uh, uh, take the toll of four to six, since now we say you basically need a master's degree, uh, years of your most procreative and creative time as a young person. There are other excuses people will throw that, oh, well, I'm going STEM, I don't have to worry about that. STEM is always what goes woke first in a lot of leftist cultures. That's no better. The, the best way is to, to treat these things like uh, counter punches and, and counter responses to, to the, the reasons that people offer who already know that the institution is overrun. So, you know, I, I, I'm most comfortable 
dealing with interlocutors that are like, okay, what about this? What about that? What about that? We have, we have a reason for everything. We have a Fox news article called the five top reasons not to go to college. I named like four of them, but that it's such a long list. It's such a deep, profound list that, that it really, it really does well to, to see me respond to the reasons that a conservative would present for conservative kids to continue to be sent to college. It's weaponizing the enemy, right? We're emplacing our own youth in the, the army of the enemy. That's one other reason. But the, 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 it's about 20 reasons long, the list, why not to go to college. And the important thing is that the reason to go to college is zero reasons long. There are no reasons that can be offered even as trade-offs. Normally, when you're weighing something prudentially, there's a trade-off. You know, well, there are four good reasons not to go, and we weigh them, try to quantify them. But, but there are six good reasons not to go, and, um, and they're all weighty in and of themselves. There's nothing true that substantiates it's that, that one ought to send one's conservative Christian kid to college anymore. They hate you. They hate your kid, and they will turn them into anti-Christian, anti-conservative zombies, and they won't be able to find a job afterwards for the price. So are you referring specifically here to to the arts when you're making this analysis, or are you referring to college writ large? College writ large, with a, with a few exceptions. You know, we hedge a bit, but discipline to discipline, um, the, the more we looked at it, it's really the same, and it's striking how, how uh, univocal the professoriate is and therefore how univocal the goal of the professoriate is vis-a-vis the students it's all to convert them or shame them into being one more wasted mind in the hive mind and you know we can go through the specific ones if you're going to become a lawyer or a doctor i've got a law degree that the nation has a lot more law schools than med schools We, we we do need some doctors so we'd say, well, you still pretty much have to go. I don't think we need many more lawyers. But uh, or if you want to be an engineer, this is the, you know, the top 10 paying undergrad degrees all have engineers, the second word in them, if you look it up. So, you know, maybe maybe doctor, maybe engineer. There's a few other ways that we could hedge and say, well, this, you know, 3% should still be going to college. But across all the other disciplines, most of the other kids who would correspond with one of those other disciplines should not. So what was your experience in university like? Because you spent a lot of time there. I was an undergrad almost 20 years ago, and I didn't go to a particularly radical college. But having said that, it was a gay experience. It was a feminist experience. And I, I, I don't mean in the, uh, in the experiential sense of the word, but, <laughs> but the classroom experience was gay. It was feminist. It wasn't yet transgender but it was anti-white and it was uh, woke specifically uh, anti-white and it was anti-Christian. So yeah, that, that was at a very quote unquote conservative dressed down uh, public school at the time. And, um, you know, gay, feminist, anti-Christian, anti-conservative, uh, it, it, class to class. It was, you know, it was, it was all, there was one context against which everything else was tested, evidently. And someone, somehow they all got this memo. It's got to be anti-Christian. It's got to be anti-straight. It's got to be anti-white. 
And, and people kind of know this, right? I mean, I feel like even the people at home that haven't been to college for 30 years and don't have a kid that's gone and told them about it when they come home for Thanksgiving dinner, they know, well, yeah, that, that's, that's the case. Is that any different from yours? My experience would be we'd be quite similar to yours. And it, it's interesting because you get a sense of how fast the transgender movement has taken over when you realize it. So when I, like, I think I first saw a transgender display on campus in probably 2008 or nine. And even like the libertarian pro gay students kind of, kind of chuckled and were like, you know what, like a- any movement can push too far sort of thing. Women don't have penises. Ha ha ha. And you know, the Unix, the Unix are running the show now. So it just kind of gives you an idea of how fast, how fast all this can unfold. But I would relate to that. I, I, I did a bachelor of arts degree in history and and most courses like I took it I took like in my American history course we spent uh, two two full sessions on Pocahontas and Abraham Lincoln wasn't mentioned and so th- that was that was pretty standard there was the odd very very good history professor and those stand out I remember them very vividly they were the ones that you know were there because they enjoyed history but those were the ones that were primarily interested in storytelling rather than sociology or anthropology they were interested in the men and the women and their experiences and how how their experiences shaped history, etc. I found the ones that were interested in stories were generally pretty good. Those that had any kind of lens through which they viewed history, uh, you know, critical theory, um, feminism, any kind of ideology really um, tended to destroy what they were were attempting to teach. Um, and it was just it was cr- just criminally boring. I skipped half those classes, read the textbooks, and passed the exams because why why, why bother to go right? In my Native American history class, it was one of the last classes I took for my undergrad degree. I fell asleep on the exam and drooled on the final exam and then was the last per- I mean, it was such such awful stuff to have to study. I, I, I handed the exam into my professor with drool on it and he had to wake me up. So it, it's criminally <laughs> boring and it's 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 a sham intellectually. What people have to understand to dovetail with the, the cusp of what you said, it's criminally boring because the university was given us to impart Christian Aristotelianism about about 1400 years ago right it's it's not for everyone it's the you know wasps in america not 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 woke leftists but wasps in america 150 years ago turned the program of the university into glorified trade school you know those those capitalist wasps being such dignified uh fans of enterprise markets and stuff they turned what was really supposed to be just for the sons of aristocrats to impart Christian Aristotelianism for the sake of speculative wisdom and for the sake of Christendom. They turned that into glorified trade school with a couple years of, of gen ed classics. And then it diminished from there. That was before the woke leftists even got a hold of it 70 years ago, 80 years ago, John Dewey at the University of Chicago. So it's only gotten worse since then. But university hasn't been doing what it was geared to do. It's raison de tra for for in America for perhaps ever, even though we didn't have this horrible situation. We had a semi, we had an amalgamized mongrel thing where the university attempted to do a little bit of actual education, teaching students, uh, you know, Latin, Hebrew, Greek, philosophy, philology, uh, theology, queen of the sciences, mathematics. And then they took that and they made it you know, like like the wasps always do, they made it practical. So then it was two years of this, two years of that. 
and it was already a Mongol. Well, then the, the leftists got a hold of it and they did what they always do to it. You know, they, 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 they cut off the penis and turn it tranny. It's sort of a long-standing conservative lament that that the uh, the elite intellectual class pushes progressive, right? So one of the most famous conservative books was God and Man at Yale by William F. Buckley, the book that kicked off his career prior to the founding of National Review. Uh, a follow-up uh, to that, which I think is, is even more wittily written, was by Nathan Harden called God and Sex at Yale. Uh, the story of a good education gone bad, where he talks about, you know, this Ivy League university that was founded on fundamentally Christian principles, right? You know, Princeton, Yale, these were like, these were the Puritan universities. And one of the greatest religious philosophers of of the, uh, of, of the entire history of America, Jonathan Edwards, um, was the president, was the president of Princeton. And his book is, is, is really chilling because what you end up finding out is, you know, you've got these, these uh, like week-long orgies when kids come into school to sort of inculcate them into the sexual practices of the campus and they're learning all of these bizarre things. And Hannah Rosen writes in her book, The End of Men, that working class women are so shocked by hookup culture when they arrive on campus that they have to be, in her words, inculcated into it. And so you're kind of poisoning a lot of people's virtue too upon arrival. But you kind of touched on the history there. You used the term wasp. For those who don't know what the term means, that's white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. Could you give us sort of a brief historical overview, like America-wise? Because you're right, the American university experience has always been distinct. And so could you give us a brief sort of historical overview about how it got from a place which was always a mongrel, it tried to do a whole bunch of different things, but I think you could you could justifiably argue that it, it did a lot of things well. Um, and that the dynamic dynamism of, of American campuses was envied by its European counterparts in many cases. And, and they, they managed to accomplish things that some of their European counterparts couldn't until the 1968 riots began the ruin of, of, of all the European universities as well. And so how would you say we got from, from an ex, a working experiment with its, its, its pluses and its minuses to something now that is so thoroughly bankrupt you advise, uh, advise people to avoid it entirely? Well, a guy trying to start wars of ecumenism, you know, sectarian violence among the Christians here. But yeah, the, the, I mean, so Protestant schools like Harvard started out as divinity schools for good uh, congregationalist or, or Puritan kids. And that's, that's, that's really, that's very good compared to what we have now. But you have to understand the, really, in the college question, as in the Christian question, as in philosophy and theology as well, the key role played by the dehellenization of the West, entailed by, first off, the, 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 the Protestant Reformation, then by the Enlightenment, and then what we call uh, liberal Protestant theology at the University of Tübingen uh, in Germany, or the, the, the epicenter of what we call uh, 19th century liberal Protestant theology. Even Pope Benedict talks about this in his famed Regensburg Address uh, in 2006, whereupon Muslims hearing him cite the Regensburg Address about a, an, an ancient uh, emperor called Paleo, Paleologus, who quoted something unfavorable to Islam. The world's Muslims responded by saying, we're not violent, and they started setting their corner of the world on fire. The Regensburg was really about the three moments the Regensburg Address, I should say, is about the three moments of dehellenization of the West. That means de-Greekification or de-Aristotelianization of the West. The West is built on Aristotle. And the university, Jonathan, was constructed to pass on the ideas of Christian Aristotelianism 
as the texts of Aristotle were popping up, they were lost. They were lost for almost a thousand years, like an Indiana Jones movie. The closest thing we had to Aristotle was the next best thing, which is Plato and the teachings of Plato between the days of, you know, Augustine and Thomas Aquinas, you know, for almost a thousand years, the best thing we had from the Greeks was Plato. Aristotle was popping up in a di in dig sites at Spain, and in the beginning of the second Christian millennium, when universities were really becoming a thing, they were there to impart these new new old Aristotelian doctrines to Christendom, and they there was no idea in the Holy Roman Empire which is just a Catholic empire, Europe, that college was for everyone. Like Obama says, you know, it should be for single moms to go to school to make an extra 28% on their salary. It's a joke, right? It would, college is for imparting the ideas of Christian Aristotelianism. Aristotle's the master of those who know, if you ask Dante Alighieri. And uh, he's just the, the way you become smart. If your kid's gifted, you have them study Aristotle. And Christian Aristotelianism is known as scholasticism. This is why the Catholic Church gave the world the university. It was never glorified trade school. It wasn't barber college or clown college, right? Send your kid there if you want. Have them go to shop or home ec if you want them to learn how to do something that, that, that normal people do. But smarty pants is go to college to learn Christian Aristotelianism, okay? And in America, at, at divinity schools like Harvard, yeah, they weren't learning that men can have babies and, and, you know, women have Johnsons and things like that. Of course not. Here's something very typical for conservatives now, especially, especially in a media driven environment where everybody's pushing for clicks. Even I have this a bit where you'll read all these crazy stories from people on campus and you're like, you know what? Students are going to student like this is what they do. Right. You've got like it, it's it's kind of easy to find a student making a total clown of him or herself and staying saying ridiculous things. Right. If, if you're if you're somebody who wants to be edgy, you know, you might become a Marxist. If you're, you're, you're too conservative to become a Marxist, but too libertine to become a conservative, then you become a libertarian. Um, you know, so everybody, everybody picks something edgy on campus. Are these stories we hear, the crazy stories coming off campus, indicative of like fundamental institutional rot? Or are these just examples of dumb kids, you know, doing dumb things away from home for the first time? Like, give us a couple of the stories that indicate how bad things have gotten. There's nothing more ridiculous then a transsexual who reverses being a transsexual. Think about it. It's a joke. <laughs> you might get that in five seconds. Yeah, it's not just students studenting. That's not what's going on here. Somehow conservatives who think about what we are as Christian conservatives in America. What do we do? We lose. We are history's great losers. The essential act that marks what we do is we give away the blessed cultural institutions that we once held, the institutions of culture, like the university, like the church, like military, like entertainment media, like news media. So this is what we've done. We've, we've given away the university, which was once held by conservative Christians. So, so as you think about that, now think of the fact that there's this odd confluence of circumstances among conservatives who are reading my book and, and Dr. Robillard's book, uh, Don't Go to College, Case for Revolution, they say, yeah, yeah, I've heard a lot of these instances of, uh, I don't know, a professor attacking his students with a bike lock 
you know, uh, it, it, we, we document about 60 of the instances um, of a professor at Rutgers said, saying, you know, we want to, we want to, I forget what, it, what was the exact expression. We want to burn the MFers down, you know, talking about all white people. Mm. We want to breed them out, you know, attacking students, uh, Christians being treated horribly, uh, Christians having disgusting things said to them, telling their administration, and then they get in trouble. Uh, you think if you want to outbreed white people, you just ban abortion. That seems to be the most effective way of doing that. De facto, yeah. Well, look, look who's look who's having abortions. That that's that's what you would do if you're serious about it. They want it. I think they want it. Well, yeah. That's a that's a whole other. Question. <laughs> Sorry about that. that. Carry on. That that involves uh, outbreeding white people according to their their plan. Seems to involve all of the colors. So it's got the rainbow feel feel good hooray for everything component to it. But the point is, conservatives have heard of this stuff, and so we we tend to talk to to them, conservatives, or even our family and friends, like. We haven't heard of a professor at this school attacked his students with a bike lock. A professor at that school, you know, threw something at a conservative, made a joke, made a joke about a cross. And then the student got in trouble for telling stuff, stuff like this. But they're like, yeah, yeah, we know we've heard. But that's that's just the college experience. And and so me and Mike, my co-author, are like, oh, so propaganda works. You've heard this is not the exception. This is the rule. Right. Exception makes bad law. Everyone who went to any sort of school, aside from, you know, what, what Catholics call the Cardinal Newman guide schools, like 15 schools that wink, wink, really mean it, were imparting Catholicism. And there's still a couple good Protestant private schools. And there's like one good, you know, secular schools like Hillsdale College. You know, mm-hmm. conservatives are like, what about Hillsdale? It's, it's like, OK, if you don't go there, then you're basically having like Carrie at the prom, pig's blood dumped on you once they find out you're a straight white Christian male. But but definitely at, fr- at first when they know you're white. Conservatives are really tongue-tied and twisted up on this issue. They know about it, but somehow they, they assume that every bad thing that happens to a conservative or a Christian is the exception. It's not. It's the rule. So now what would you say to a young person, let's say, right, who's uh, not adept at the trades, like myself, um, who is very interested in the arts in terms of, you know, history, literature, philosophy, all of those sorts of things. You know, they accept your, your argument, which I think is very convincingly made that, you know, at most of the infra, uh, the universities you go to, you're not going to get uh, an education. And if you do, it's going to be in spite of what a lot of your professors say rather than because of it. Like my, my sister actually goes to a, a Christian university and I look at her reading list and I'm quite envious because I had to read, you know, endless books on, on you know, non-binary indigenous people in the pre-colonial period who we've somehow determined exist through oral histories that we don't really have. And, you know, she's reading Augustine's City of God. So what would you say to somebody that, that accepts your argument but still wants to go to university? Because let's say they want to be an academic let's say they want to teach let's say like let's say they want to go into into intellectual pursuits and actually make a living doing that what would your advice for that minority be congratulations you are one you're truly one out of 500 you're one out of 250 you're special and we know that much because we're we're going to petitio principio here and beg the question if you listen to my full argument and you're still asserting i need to go to college which is what every conservative parent or student has told me, oh, but I'm one of the special ones that needs to go, then I'd say, okay, great. You're one out of 250. 
you know, just just look at your G, your SAT score, look at your your raw native ability, look at some of the other basic metrics we have, and tell me that of the other, it's like half half conservative liberal in the country, right? It's not at college, but of the other, let's say the number is one out of two hundred fifty. That's how special you are. We don't want to hedge much more than that. Look at the other hundred twenty four conservatives who also up to reading our book, wanted to go to college. Why? Not because it's a great plan, but because it's the plan that you've been brainwashed with your whole life, especially young women. You're, you're telling me you're very confident that you are the representative for conservatives who, for the sake of humanity and for the sake of posterity, you must go to college. Well, congratulations. That's great. But then what I tell them is, unless you go to one out of 11, I don't know, 16, whatever the exact number is, Colleges in America, they all tend to be very small colleges, by the way. They can't accommodate the matriculation of like every conservative that just doesn't want to form a new, better plan, newer, better plan. They can't accommodate all this. So unless you're one of those, it doesn't matter what the hell you want to study, man. Yeah, I I have degrees in literature, history, philosophy, and law. And all of those are beautiful, amazing things to study if you don't have a bunch of gender dysphoric lunatics teaching them. And all of the schools do, even in my, I looked, I moved from California to Mississippi when I was um, basically run out of the state by Black Lives Matter. And this is the reddest state. This is the reddest state, us or Oklahoma. People here, since I've come here less than two years ago, like, hey man, don't bring your wacky California shit here. You know, your fruity, fruity California nonsense. I'm like, look, you don't have to worry about me, bro. You know, I'm to the right of Attila the Hun. But you, let me ask you something. Does your kid go to Ole Miss? Your kid go to Mississippi State? Yes, I know we're the most conservative one, but they're, right now, place a call to them. They're being brainwashed that, that men can have babies and women can have penises and white people are evil and need to go the way of the dodo right now. And by the way, there's an opportunity cost for all of that narcotizing brainwashing. They're not learning anything of real substance. So that's what I tell the kids. It's it's not, oh, I want to be the one to still go to the big schools and, and learn, and maybe conservatives shouldn't. That's not the case we're making. If you go to the schools because you want to learn philosophy, literature, philology, theology, you're not going to learn that. It's all been overtaken discipline by discipline. So Make sure you go to one of the few small colleges that will actually teach you those things and make sure you're one of the very bright ones. I think it's fair to say that in today's culture, even for conservatives, a degree from Princeton, Harvard, Yale or Stanford still holds a lot of allure. Like the idea of having that behind your name holds a lot of allure. And the way one of the ways you can indicate that is like on the front of your book, it says forward by Michael Knowles, B.A. Yale. And the reason he puts his like Yale, his B.A. from Yale behind his name is because it still holds a lot of cultural currency. Right. How do you break people out of that mindset? That, I mean, that's straight up a joke. That, that was the publisher wanted to do that. They, they put our all of our gay letters behind our name. You know, Tim Gordon, M.A., P.H.L., J.D., Michael Robillard, you know, M.A., M.A., Ph.D. and and uh, and and Michael J. Knowles, uh, B.A. Yale. They put that there because it's funny because of, uh, you know, the, the, the contradiction in terms. One of the tricks of leftists writ large and leftist professors in particular is they'll tell you a rule of the left. Think about Snowball and Napoleon in an old uh, animal farm. They'll tell you a rule of the left and then they'll break it the very next moment. Uh, AOC talks about the poor 
And then later that night, she puts on a $50,000 ball gown. And again, loser conservatives are going, but you're contradicting yourself. The contradiction is the first rule. Read Solinsky's book. They tell you a rule, oh, liberals aren't allowed to have nice things. And then they contradict it. Well, that's what, that's what we're doing back, right? It's like, we're like, don't go to college. And it's like, here's, here's 24 years worth of, of teaching in, le- in fruity letters behind our names. But I really want to drive the other, the other point home, though, the, the last thing I said. It doesn't matter. It's a fait accompli. Whether a young, bright, brimming with enthusiasm conservative wants to go learn philosophy, theology, philology, whatever, at college or not, they're not going to teach you those things. The body might still be warm, but the heart ain't beating. You know what I mean? So would you say that you didn't learn much in your university education, or would you say that you had to kind of like sort the wheat from the tares? I, I didn't learn much at any of the, the schools that I went to, aside from the Orthodox Catholic schools. I mean, between you and me, don't tell anyone, but still technically I'm, 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 you know, working on a PhD right now at a very Orthodox Catholic school, one of the ones. So yeah, my undergrad education or any of the overrun Catholic schools that I have a degree from, history, philosophy, literature, I have degrees in schools that are basically worthless. Aside from the fact that here and there, I kind of learned, okay, the good literature is this time, this place, Dostoevsky and the Russians. It, whatever. I kind of already knew that. Never mind going into college. And then I, I, I supplemented it myself. And I did so, uh, you know, in between degrees or once I got married and once I started a day job, I, I, I craved the intellectual engagement. So you can do that and you can pay six figures and go in debt and get an ulcer to maybe like three classes per in your four years, not even one a year. Let's say you, you're lucky and you find three classes that aren't woke and actually teach you something. Or you can go online and use online resources like, like Zoom and Skype, and you can learn real stuff without a corpuscle of indoctrination, and you can do what a human being was wired to do. Science, right? What was a human being wired to do? They're wired to engage their fertility when they're 17, 18, 19. And this is what human beings clearly we're oriented to do females have the most and the the healthiest eggs at this time young men are the most willing to get married at this time like paul saying to paula 60 years ago hey hey paula i want to marry you no one else will do i i've waited so long for school to be through no one else will rather do so uh, this is the point marry your high school girlfriends or boyfriends young people if i'm talking to to girls out there be happy be virtuous. Monogamy is a lot easier when you're not sexually decrepit after four or six years of nightly orgy. It's nightly orgy, parents, that you're sending your kid to, even at state schools in, in, in Christian states like Mississippi. Uh, it's much easier for young men and young women to be virtuous, embrace the cardinal virtues, get married young, start families. Like Mike Cernovich says, every year you, you travel you're staying at hostels so you can have sex with four people at a time, you know, and you and find yourself in your, you know, previous to your senior year of, of high school, where you're uh, college, where you're backpacking around Europe. Those are just years you're not going to have with your kids on the back end. So get married young, marry your high school boyfriend or girlfriend, guys get a job, women do what you do beautifully, uh, uh, be, be the Christian um, support for your husbands, have babies. 
be good to each other, make each other happy. And, and, and young people are finding this anyway. They're like, well, what we really want to do is have sex. It's like, cool. The, 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 you know, Christianity loves that. Just do it the right way. Get married, go have lots of babies. That's what makes society happy and healthy. And you can learn shit on the side, on the internet. On that reactionary note, Tim, thanks so much for taking the time to talk about this all with us. Yeah, thanks a lot for reaching out to me. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Dr. Timothy J. Gordon, the co-author of Don't Go to College, A Case for Revolution. Thanks for joining us this week. Those of you who are interested in listening to past shows or subscribing to receive new shows, head over to LifeSightNews.com, click on the podcast tab, you'll find the Van Maren Show there, and you can download our podcast wherever you get your content. Thanks so much for listening this week, and we hope you'll join us again next week.